Welcome to Interchange. I'm Doug Storm. Today's show is The Presence of Pessoa, part two of our conversation with biographer and translator Richard Zenith. Jazz great Ornette Coleman provides our soundscape. This is Turnaround from Sound Grammar, recorded live in Germany in 2005, where the band plays together literally as one, no matter what's happening. As all these sounds blend together, they become, in their order to one another, grammar. And each member finds a unique place in the conversation in this ordered sonic universe. When will you come, O hidden one, Portuguese dream of every age, to make me more than the faint breath of an ardent, God-created yearning? Ah, when at last will you, returning, turn my hope into love? In the aftermath of the death of his father by tuberculosis, and in the face of losing his mother to another country and a second husband, Fernando Pessoa, age seven, wrote a shrewd little poem to his mother. Here I am, in Portugal, in the lands where I was born. However much I love them, I love you even more. What makes this poem most unusual, according to Richard Zenith, is its love of homeland, its mysterious, innate nationalism. It's a poem that, as we'll hear, might well have served as epigraph to the poet's only published book of poems, Mensagem, or Message, where what is national is personal, political, mythical, and universal. Mensagem won a literary prize awarded December 31, 1934 by the Portuguese National Office of Propaganda. Pessoa would die 11 months later on November 30, 1935, at age 47. Mensagem presents Pessoa's vision of a spiritual nationalism, one in which Portugal is conceived universally as a real place and a mythical idea. It is praised and disparaged by both the political left and right which might speak to its great worth. Can a nationalistic book of poems actually offer a shared ideological message? And would any ears hear? Today we explore the in-between, from Durban, South Africa to Lisbon, Portugal, the beginning and the end of the greatest Portuguese poet of the last 450 years. Throughout we'll hear poems or fragments of poems from Pessoa and his three major heteronyms, the master, the centralist, and the classicist. Richard Zena's new book is The Monumental Pessoa, a biography, published this year by Livewright. We'll begin with Pessoa's most well-known and probably most widely translated poem, Autopsychography, dated April 1st, 1931. The poet is a feigner who's so good at his act, he even feigns the pain of pain he feels in fact. And those who read his words will feel in his writing neither of the pains he has, but just the one they are missing. And so around its track, this thing called the heart winds, a little clockwork train to entertain our minds. And now, the Presence of Pessoa, with Richard Zenith, on Interchange, on WFHB. 
This is really just sort of a signature poem, I could say. That's a late poem, right? Uh, I think uh, April 1st, 1931. That's right. And the fact it uh, was written on April 1st, sometimes he liked to use fictional dates. Right, right. So it's possible he, he wanted, to, wanted it to be dated on April Fool's Day. This poem in particular kind of serves as a, a nice sketch of Pessoa's art uh, on its own, right? It, it can open up into how we might think about Pessoa as a poet in general. Indeed. The very first line in, in Portuguese, o poeta é um fingidor, the poet is a feigner. And that word fingidor, from the verb fingir, is a key to uh, Pessoa's whole poetics. And the idea of uh, fingidor, which I translated as feigner, you could also translate that as pretender, faker, perhaps. But the idea isn't so much faking in the uh, in the sense of falsifying, but of acting, that poet is really acting, performing, inventing. And so all of this is in there. Perhaps a good word, too, is, is the idea of forge in English, hmm. which has both the idea, can have the idea of, of, of forging, like uh, an ironmonger forges objects now. And so it's creating, but forge can also mean counterfeiting. And so both of these senses are, 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 are true in, in Pessoa. So the poet, he feigns the pain of pain he feels in fact. So you have the feeling of the poet, but then in the poem, what is conveyed isn't exactly that the feeling of the poet would be, which would be impossible. So, so the poet, according to Pessoa, has to reconstruct in a way, poetically construct what he or she feels. And then the reader won't feel either of these two pains of, of the poet, that is the actual pain or the written pain, but just pain they're missing. So this is yet a third pain that the, that the reader has. So you have this uh, so is very aware of the difficulty of, of communication. And so this is a bit what this poem is about. And his uh, whole theory of, of literature and poetry is this attempt to communicate. Always a very fraught enterprise. To have a poem that is expressing a thing that one feels, or the poet tries to create a feeling in the words they use so that it calls up in a reader a feeling, not the pain, as he expresses here, of the actual poem, like the example of the poem, a, a child falls from his bicycle in the poem okay. and feels both a physical pain and perhaps a, uh, you know, one might feel a nostalgic pain for the time you learned to ride a bicycle. That's the idea of the poem you know, becoming an act of, you know, creating feeling that isn't, nece yeah. isn't necessary to the, the actual tangible object that is the poem, I suppose. That's right. And so this poem is really, as you said, an Ars Poetica, his, his theory of poetry. And then in other poems, you get a lot of very autobiographical mm -hmm. feeling and emotion uh, from Pessoa that then is, is transformed. But it's interesting, the third stanza, so around its track, this thing called the heart winds, a little clockwork train to entertain our minds. It sounds in one way as if Pessoa is um, demoting uh, the heart and feelings and, and, and the mind is what counts, mm -hmm. you know, that this exists for the sake of the mind, to entertain the mind. However, it's also interesting because 
this thing called the heart winds on its own. It has its own life. Mm. So emotions and feeling finally cannot be controlled. They ha- they, and Pessoa is also very aware of that. So Pessoa is a, an intellectual poet, but one who feels very intensely all the time. That last stanza has always been one that's been a little tricky to think about, right? Because you do want it to, I mean, it is a, a mechanism, that, and two mechanisms, I guess, in a sense, right? A track, maybe like a train or some, you know, some, yes. and then the clockwork, of course, obviously it says train, but the clockwork is then another mechanism that's in here as well. And not one we associate with heart generally. And it's to entertain though, also. So it, it doesn't necessarily have that sense of um, seriousness, and you know, not that that might be saying that or not, but rather that this is, again, a, a play thing. This is a toy, tra- toy train. Right, yeah. right. It's a, a clockwork train is a, is a wind-up train. Right, right. And uh, so, so, yeah, so uh, there, there's this idea in Pessoa, too, that, that everything finally is a game. Right. And so so even the heart and feelings are, are like a child's game. However, the danger here is to think that the game is unimportant. For mm-hmm. Pessoa, the game is is everything. Games have have great meaning for Pessoa. Mm. That's a great point. Obviously as as you point out in your biography, he was a great game player and creator of puzzles and you know tried to to win uh, prizes in creating puzzles, right? Constantly, yes, from the get-go, from when he was young. He loved games when he, when he was young, and then there's a way he really, that he never grew up. He continued to, to play games all, all his life. Mm. But as I say, these games are, are for Pessoa, then are you're pregnant with, with meaning and significance. So there's all his, his spiritual search is all kind of a, a game in a way, and mm. his interest in politics is another kind of game. But not a game that's it's not game. it's not a frivolity exactly <laughs> right 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 it's a very exactly. serious it's a serious game that's right. right no doubt about it if after i die someone wants to write my biography there's nothing simpler it has just two dates the day i was born and the day i died between the two all the days are mine i'm easy to define i saw as if damned to see I loved things without any sentimentality. I never had a desire I couldn't satisfy, because I was never blind. Even hearing was never more for me than an accompaniment to seeing. I understood that things are real, and all of them different from each other. I understood this with my eyes, never with my mind. To understand this with my mind would be to find them all alike. One day, like a child, I suddenly got tired. I closed my eyes and fell asleep. Besides all that, I was the only poet of nature. Because, you know, we're talking about your biography. Pessoa has one of his heteronyms, um, the master, uh, Alberto Cairo, give advice to a biographer. So, yes, in a way, this is a maybe a challenge to <laughs> any would-be biographer of Pessoa. And Pessoa actually wrote a, a prose piece called The Immorality of Biography. And he claimed that the life uh, doesn't really matter, as many people do. Uh, what matters is the work itself. However, Pessoa himself loved biographies. <laughs> he read, read a lot of them. And, and finally, in Pessoa, I think more than in, in most, the life and the work are inseparable. They're, mm. they're, they're completely tied up. As for this poem, which, as you say, is, is uh, signed by Alberto Caero. Caero was about uh, just seeing things and accepting them exactly as they 
are. So there was for Kaeru life and death. So there's when you're born and then and then you live and everything you don't question. You uh, you, you just see things exactly as they are. Mm-hmm. You don't mentally masturbate over them and you know, mm-hmm. make, making theories and philosophy. And you don't over-emotionalize either. So he says in that poem that he loved things without any sentimentality. So this poem is uh, very much about Kaer, more than about Pessoa, who, mm. who loved the game of, of reason and thinking and, and also a feel. And obviously Pessoa is able to say there's a kind of person that can think like this, that it's not the games or whatnot. There's just this living and seeing in this particular way and, and to present this particular point right. of view as Kaer. Yes. The biography I wrote of his titles in uh, the UK, Pessoa and Experimental Life. Mm-hmm. And so really these heteronyms, they're all experiments in a way, not just heteronyms, other facets of Pessoa's work and, and life. He's, he's, he's like a scientist who's constantly inventing, trying different things out. When you say that, um, you know, life is seeing and in a lot of ways and in a lot of poems, memory is a problem in this kind of perspective, right? That you're seeing today, living today now, and that's what matters. That's right. And so Pessoa makes the point too that uh, when we remember something from the past that remembrance is is something present even our nostalgia if we feel nostalgia for some past moment is uh, or past experience in our life is, is something present when we really analyze and look close at ourselves and at our nostalgia and our memory we're constantly reinventing so so is very very aware of how this goes on yeah, he's taken to the extreme the idea that you can constantly reinvent. That's a fact of being, and the kind of stability of life is like the greatest invention in some sense, or the the most facile one to remain a stable identity. Yeah, well, that's a good point. I like the way you said that. It's a greatest invention, but also, in a sense, the most facile. And so Pessoa recognized this wondrous capacity we have to act as if we were unified, coherent beings but at the same time, uh, completely aware of the fact that we're really not. And he, and he wanted to explore that tremendous diversity that's in all of us. This is Interchange on WFHB. Our show is about the life and poetry of Fernando Pessoa, with translator Richard Zenith, whose new book is Pessoa, a biography, out this year from Livewright. Like an astonishing remnant from childhood, I still retain half my enthusiasm. Mine, because I had it back then. At times, I'm almost ashamed of believing so much in what I don't believe. It's a kind of dream with reality in the middle. False beauty round a speechless center. The sunflower speaks, yellow and astonished, by the black center, which is everything. We've talked about uh, Pessoa growing up and, and being a, a game player from the beginning. Um, I did want to ask, you know, how his growing up in Durban, South Africa affected him uh, in his poetry and in his person. Without that uh, experience in Durban, I doubt that we would be having this conversation <laughs> about mm. Fernando Pessoa. Perhaps the first 
and most obvious fact of, the, of those 10 years he spent in Durban was that's where he got most of his uh, education in English. So uh, did not know English when he went there, but he very, very soon was at the top of his class. And so he was very uh, studious, read uh, voraciously. While Shakespeare and Milton were a couple of his great heroes, uh, English romantic poets such as Byron, Shelley, Keats, Wordsworth, also Edgar Allan Poe, and the whole tradition of uh, Anglo-American writing was, was very important for Pessoa. His life in Durban was quite English because he went to an English school where there were only white males in his high school. But an another important part of his experience in Durban was outside the classroom. Durban was a racially segregated city. About half of the people in Durban were white, mostly of English background, or some Europeans, Australians. Uh, about 25% were Indians. Durban was an English colony in South Africa, and they had brought shiploads of Indians to work on the sugar estates in, in the countryside. But then a lot of these Indians ended up relocating to Durban, where a lot of them were shopkeepers or worked as lower-level civil, civil servants, too. And then another quarter of the population uh, was Zulu Africans, mostly males, who also did you know, manual labor and they pulled rickshaws, which was, was a form of transportation. Some of them were just police constables. Some of them were uh, stevedores at the port. Although Pessoa was in some sense sheltered, you know, on the streets of Durban, of course, he, he saw this great diversity of racial and ethnic diversity. And I think all of that was, was quite important for Pessoa. Although he, like the, the rest of the Europeans, surely did feel that they were you know, superior, if not genetically, you, in terms of their education and so forth. But he couldn't escape the fact that there were other ways that people lived and other, other ways of being made him more sophisticated and world-wise. This is Interchange on WFHB. Our show is about the life and poetry of Fernando Pessoa with translator Richard Zenith, whose new book is Pessoa, a biography, out this year from LiveWrite. You know, one of the things that's difficult about Pessoa is his own sort of sense of, you call it megalomania, but there's also a kind of megalomania for Portugal that must have uh, had, you know, some sort of genesis here in the idea of an imperial country and, uh, you know, within the bounds of another imperial country uh, or trying to play on the world stage of imperialism in a sense and then learning the imperialists' culture and literature, and then thinking that Portugal would be a second-tier, second-hand Europe by comparison. So, from a young age, was quite patriotic. Perhaps also that patriotism was exacerbated because of living as a, as a foreigner in Durban. And he was critical of British imperialism, the Boer War went on while, while Pessoa was living there as, uh, as a young boy from 1899 to 1901. That's three years Pessoa was, was there in Durban. And so he was critical of the war, which was quite aggressive war, really, of, of the British against the Boers. Critical also, Ireland was fighting for home rule at the time, was still not independent. So Pessoa was uh, very, very aware of uh, this imperialism of, of Great Britain and critical of it. On the other hand, 
He was not critical of imperialism generally. And at that time, uh, imperialism for uh, most Europeans thought imperialism was, was a great thing. You know? <laughs> and, and empires were nothing to be ashamed of. It, it was a way of organizing the world. Portugal, centuries earlier, had been a, a great player on the oceans of the world and had a maritime empire, which was basically a commercial empire. They didn't really control the hinterlands of countries. They tended to have control of these trading posts in areas on the coast. But it was, it was, it was quite a large network, you know, in Asia and the Americas and Africa. So it was, it was quite an achievement for the tiny country of Portugal. And a lot of the Portuguese were nostalgic for that heyday of the empire when Portugal was glorious on the world stage. And Pessoa, he grew up with that, but then he does something interesting and then he imagines a cultural empire. So he, he reasons that Portugal, because it's a small country, can't possibly aspire to military might to ruling countries uh, by brute force. However, through through its culture, he imagined Portugal dominating the world in a way. So he um, theorized this, and uh, and then later on would imagine also his army of heteronyms as being part of this this movement to effect this great renaissance in Portugal. And all of this was in in an imperialistic way of thinking, actually. There was a reason he moved to Durban, obviously. Uh, he lost a father, his uh, biological father, to TB early by, what, around age five? That's right. He was five years old. And then uh, his his mother remarried a, a captain. When, when they met, he was a ship's captain, mm-hmm. but then uh, was named Portugal Gould's consul to Durban. And so, so his mother remarried a couple of years after uh, the death of her first husband, mm-hmm. That was in 1896. So Pessoa was seven years old. You know, we struggle with the idea of a person like Pessoa in in some ways because it's normal to create imaginary beings, you know, or to think about imaginary friends and and things of that nature. But Pessoa from an early age is literally peopling his life, but also giving them documentary proof that they exist, right? Like most of us don't exist except by some documentary proof after the fact. Like you're here and then you're gone. And what's here is a documentary proof that you were here Um, because people that know you that might say you were here will die also. Uh, So there's documents that are proving you lived. Again, reading your biography is like having you sort of go down a rabbit hole of trying to discover who certain people are that he's writing about only to discover they're not real. Right, they have they have a real existence in, in documentary terms that seem like they're going to be real, but they're not real. That's a very good point, Doug. Uh, and and Pessoa was seemed to be concerned actually to uh, create those documents, which often enough were simply poems or prose pieces signed by fictional authors. His very first, uh, according to him, his first invented playmate, one Chevalier de Pas, a French knight. Pessoa wrote letters to himself in the name of the French knight. But Pessoa, in a birthday book that belonged to his mother, scrawled for a couple of different days in the birthday book, scrawled there the name of Chevalier de Pas. So he was already five, six years old, claiming a documentary existence, even for his his very first (laughs) uh, fictional other. That's pretty amazing. He literally kept doing that. Yes. 
you point to one of his first, or maybe his first biographer, trying very, very much to psychologize the creation of these poem, these poets, these heteronyms, you know, and to try to explain them away in some sense, and and, and I assume a Freudian way, uh, as the time befits. Pessoa was, by circumstances, uh, was forced to call on his own resources and to become very internal and introspective. It was, it was undoubtedly traumatizing to have his mother, because his mother fell in love with the, the ship's captain a mere six months after the death of her first husband. Right. And she was you know, very much in love with the, with the ship's captain, I think more so than with her first husband. Yeah, and you're right. And you're right. Also, her, like her, her actual happiness had to be confusing. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And then also, so I had a little brother who had died when he was one year old, six months after the death of Pessoa's father. And, and that same month of the, that his little brother died, that's the month that Pessoa's mother meets the ship's captain. Mm. And then, you know, of course, she's madly in love. And okay, of course, you know, she's sorry about the death of her first husband and about her first child, but she's full of joy right. because uh, of this uh, love. It's, it's impossible not not to feel feel that. So all, all of these things, and then so you know, moving to a new country, and then indeed there's a new family uh, that he feels not entirely a part of, created by his uh, mother and, and his stepfather. Part of what then happens is he, he's creating his own family, and so that's also what the heteronyms are about. Right. And he's uh, he creates his own playmates and his own uh, his own his own world there. And he's in charge of who comes or goes. Exactly. A piano on my street, children playing outside, a Sunday golden with joy. My sorrow that makes me love all that's indefinite. Though I had little in life, it pains me to have lost it. But my life already runs deep and changes. A piano I miss hearing. Those children I miss being. After this experience, I mean, he ends up moving back to Lisbon, um, I think we said around age 17, and then has to, and this is by himself, he, he ends up moving in with relatives at this point? Yes, he moves yeah. in with an aunt, his only aunt, really. Mm -hmm. uh, this was the sister of his mother who had two children, but mm -hmm. so it was only first cousins. So he moved in with them, and then he was studying at uh, a university-level course. Right for a couple of years. Obviously, we've been mentioning throughout the, the heteronyms. He's got uh, three primary heteronyms that are the great poets of Portugal of the modern age. Four, uh, uh, we, if we count Pessoa as a heteronym also. And then a couple other important ones, I think Mora, um, who is a philosopher. Uh, and then yeah. uh, Bernardo Suarez is the, the final author of the Book of Disquiet. These heteronyms, do they correspond to, you know, the kind of personalities that Pessoa might have wanted to, you know, express in, I was going to say in reality or, you know, in, re in real life, mm -hmm. you know, uh, as physically as a person, the kinds of person he wish he could be outside the page even? Or is, is it just part of, you know, trying to express particular points of view because that's, that's what he does as a writer? Well, it's interesting that Pessoa around 1920 had a book project. Pessoa was always, although he didn't publish that much, he had dozens, hundreds of publication projects. And so he had a project of publishing the work of his heteronyms, a series of volumes. 
So you have the you know, poetry of, of Alberto Caero, poetry of, of Campos, the philosophical disquisitions of Antonio Mora, and, and so forth. And he called the series Aspects. He did write a preface to this would-be series of books. So there's a suggestion there indeed that each of these fictional others is an aspect of the writer an aspect of Fernando Pessoa. Whether that's a psychological aspect, that's a more dif difficult question. But I think to a certain extent, we can say that it, it is. For instance, Alvaro de Campos, who's the most exuberant, over-the-top, daring, larger-than-life heteronym, you could say, corresponds to Pessoa's id, that is that uncontrolled, uh, instinctive uh, part of, uh, of his person, purely emotive and, and spontaneous part of Pessoa. Pessoa himself was not that way. Uh, but then Campos, I think, very often is an expression of Pessoa, at least in some part of his being. So he expresses you know, with much greater force the emotions that Pessoa himself felt often. And then Ricardo Reis, who's was the classicist, uh, who has this nostalgia for ancient Greece and writes odes in the style of Horace. And so with Ricardo Reis, there's this sense of displacement. He wishes he lived in a world like ancient Greece, but he doesn't. He lives in, in modern-day Portugal. So Ricardo Reis you know, imagines a revival of neo-pagan religion, as in the polytheistic system of the Greece of Greece. But it's it's actually all of the Greek mindset in that world, or at least as he imagined it, as Pessoa imagined it, that there was this fantasy of that be, being able to to happen again. And, and and I think this sense of displacement is very strong in Pessoa. He felt in a way he was born or a part of him was born in the in the wrong culture, mm -hmm. the wrong time period. And then Alberto Caero yeah. was all about seeing things exactly as they are, perceiving with just with the senses. There you have a, a, a poet who's, in a way, the most detached. He's taking things exactly as they are without being emotional about them, as Campos is very emotional. Right. Caero, no. Also in Pessoa, there's uh, often that, that kind of detachment. Right. Right. And all of these things are going on, on at the same time in <laughs> right. Pessoa. Right. Support for WFHB comes from Cardinal Spirits. Located at 922 South Morton Street, Cardinal Spirits is an Indiana craft distillery in Bloomington, making whiskey, gin, vodka, rum, and liqueurs. Hours and more information online at cardinalspirits.com. This is Interchange on WFHB. Our show is about the life and poetry of Fernando Pessoa, with translator Richard Zenith, whose new book is Pessoa, a Biography, out this year from LiveRight. My heart, the deluded admiral, who ruled a fleet of never-built ships, followed a route fate wouldn't admit, in search of an impossible happiness. Absurd, verbose, always on the shelf, given to a life that merely abstains, he never gave himself, never gave himself, never gave himself, as the run-on verse explains. But there are advantages to a history lived in the shadows. The silence of defeat has inner roses unknown to victory. And so the Admiral's imperial fleet, laden with yearnings and dreams of glory, followed its course with no retreat. 
you, you mentioned these, you know, the sense of displacement. You mentioned the ways that he might have wanted to be with, with Campos, who is, I think, bisexual in how uh, Pessoa presents him. Is Pessoa's own sort of uh, sexuality a kind of driving a lot of this as well? Definitely. It's a, a difficult subject to put in, in few words, but in, in the biography, I, I, there's quite a lot of attention paid to Pessoa's sexuality and how that sexuality played out in his writing and in his heterodoms. And, and when I say play out, it's not simply that he suppressed his physical sexual being, because he almost certainly died a virgin. But I'm not saying that in his writing, he lived out fantasies. No, I think that it's more that there's a, a kind of a transformation going on so that the, the sexual energy, the actual energy of, of the writing, the way that his, his writing happens, the way it's the, this pr- profusion of, of other selves. So there's this kind of orgasm going on in a way. <laughs> in his proliferation of himself right. in, in, in his writing. Mm. Uh, and then there is also quite a, a lot of homoeroticism in his poetry. Uh, as you say, Alvaro de Campos is bisexual. And there's also a prose text of Campos in which he apparently outs Ricardo Reis, claiming <laughs> that the maidens to whom Ricardo Reis addresses some of his odes right. Uh, or actually, according to Compass, uh, that was all a ruse, and it was actually a young man that, that he liked. So, so they're not they're not best friends, uh, Campos and Reyes. <laughs> no, there's a lot of competition between them. <laughs> right, um, right. Although both are admirers of Alberto Caero, who's considered the master. The master, of right, right, right. And then the sexuality also in Pessoa, particularly in his, in his later years, is then all related to his spiritual search. Uh, so whereas he was worried about his virginity when he was you know in his 20s and uh thinking he should get rid of it then later his virginity becomes an, an advantage and i say virginity but actually better word is chastity although he admits in his uh a prose text to having a at least a, what he calls a mild sexual inversion that old-fashioned word for uh homoerotic desires right he admits to that, but I, but I don't think that gay is is quite the right concept for someone who didn't actually practice anything. But Pessoa, uh, in particular towards the end of his life, holds up chastity as a, a virtue on his spiritual path, and 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 Pessoa's chastity isn't denial; it's actually his way of being sexual, and this is in his spiritual conceptualizations and and in his writing. Mystery of things. Where is it? Why doesn't it come out to show us at least that it's mystery? What do the river and the tree know about it? And what do I, who am no more than they, know about it? Whenever I look at things and think about what people think of them, I laugh like a brook cleanly plashing against a rock. For the only hidden meaning of things is that they have no hidden meaning. It's the strangest thing of all, stranger than all poets' dreams and all philosophers' thoughts, that things are really what they seem to be. And there's nothing to understand. Yes, this is what my senses learned on their own. Things have no meaning. They exist. Things are the only hidden meaning of things. When it comes to the 
poetry, as we've already said, a lot of it comes out in magazines and journals, and two in particular that uh, Pessoa had a hand in editing, uh, Orfeo and uh, Athena. And these are essential places for Pessoa. Athena uh, is where uh, the bulk of the uh, Cairo poems come out, right? That's right, yeah. yeah. There's actually 40 uh, mm. poems of, of Alberto Cairo that come out in Athena. Why is Cairo the master? Why does Reyes and Campos, who are two different poets, both revere the master? And what makes Cairo Pessoa's idea of the master poet? Cairo was the first. Mm -hmm. That is, in 1914, Pessoa, as we mentioned, uh, throughout his life, even as a kid, he was inventing these imaginary writers and would write under under the names of many others. Uh, Some of them wrote in English, some wrote in Portuguese, one of them even wrote in French. But it was only in 1914 that the three main poetic heteronyms, Alberto Caero, Alvaro de Campos, and Ricardo Reis, were born. Uh, and And they're different because they had personalities, they wrote in completely different styles, they fought in different ways in Fernando Pessoa himself. So there was something, you know, click there. And, and Pessoa's capacity to completely other himself uh, really began with Alberto Caero, who emerged in March of, of 1914. And then uh, Alvaro de Campos and Ricardo Reis a couple of months later. So he's the master, I guess, in that sense. And also Alberto Caero doesn't reason. So he's what Pessoa calls an absolute objectivist, takes things, sees things exactly as they are, uh, without building philosophies based on them. And so he's like ground zero. Uh, and, and in that way, he, he's the master. And the others are so-called disciples. Mm. And I think it's interesting, too, there is a philosophy of Cairo. And if you apply it to society, you get Yesterday the Preacher of Truths, which is a political poem in a lot of ways. Yesterday, the preacher of truths, his truths, spoke to me again. He spoke of the suffering of the working classes, and not the suffering of the people, who are, after all, the ones who suffer. He spoke of the injustice of some men being rich, while others are hungry. He didn't say whether hungry for food or merely for someone else's dessert. He spoke of everything that could possibly rankle him. How happy the man must be who can contemplate the unhappiness of others. How stupid if he doesn't realize that the unhappiness of others is theirs and cannot be cured from the outside. The existence of injustice is like the evidence of death. I would never make a move to fight against what is called the injustice of the world. If I made a thousand such moves, they would be only a thousand moves. I accept injustice as I accept a stone not being round and a cork tree not having sprung up as an oak or pine. I cut the orange in two and the two parts couldn't be equal. To which part was I unjust? I, who am going to eat both. It's also a politically incorrect poem, if you like. There's a skepticism about the preacher of truths, and the preacher of truths, according to the poem, speaks of the suffering of the working classes, and injustice of some men being rich while others are hungry, and so forth. And Cairo expresses indifference about all these you know, social problems. And this does have to do with Cairo, in a way, since Cairo is just about you know, taking things as they are. So, so in that poem, there's a verse, a line that says, I accept injustice 
is I accept this thing not being round. So injustice is just one more thing that he perceives and accepts. That's just how it is. Right. However, it's also true. We find this throughout in Pessoa that there's autobiography at work too. Right. There's right. Pessoa. This poem is written sometime. We don't know exactly when, but some time a little before a little after 1920 and this was the time in Pessoa's life where Pessoa had been a, a, a fervent republican Portugal became a republic in 1910 replacing the monarchy however it was a dysfunctional republic and Pessoa became disillusioned with it and 1920 is when when actually Pessoa was a bit of a political reactionary very skeptical of anything of, of worker movements of uh, socialism, communism, and even of democracy. And, uh, and and so anything that smacked of humanitarian discourse, Pessoa was, was critical of, skeptical of. And also this has to do with him being a, a diehard individualist. Then later on, Pessoa changed his tune somewhat towards the end of his life. Then he begins to identify more with humanity. Because he's very much opposed, finally, at the end, at the very end of his life, to the dictatorship of Salazar and to oppression of, of free speech and actually the oppression of individuals. Because Pessoa does remain very much always an individualist. It's hard sometimes to talk about people and, and their politics. Um, yeah. I think occasionally when there's a poem that speaks so politically, even if you say I don't like this at all, right? Like I'm I'm no fan of the yesterday the preacher of truths um, as a as a politics, right? You know he ends with I cut the orange in two and the two parts couldn't be equal. To which part was I unjust? I who I'm going to eat both. <laughs> yes, and that's and that's and that's just a brilliant it really uh, is. closing couplet. You you can uh, you you might not agree with the rest of the right, poem, right, but, right. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's absolutely amazing those last, last two lines yeah no I, I agree he is frequently just unbelievably brilliant there's no doubt about it support for WFHB comes from Limestone Post an online culture and lifestyle magazine for Bloomington and beyond explore articles photo essays and videos on the arts outdoors local history and community events Limestone Post Writers with a voice, photographers with a vision. Online at limestonepost.com. This is Interchange on WFHB. Our show is about the life and poetry of Fernando Pessoa, with translator Richard Zenith, whose new book is Pessoa, a Biography, out this year from LiveWrite. In Athena also uh, is the poem that you like best of Ricardo Reyes, right? Uh, the um, the gods grant nothing more than life. It was published in that that magazine. Yeah, so I, I would say it's one of my favorites. Right. I don't know if, it, if it's the one I like best, but uh, but I just think it's a beautiful poem, beautiful ode. The gods grant nothing more than life. So let us reject whatever lifts us to unbreathable heights, eternal but flowerless. Let our only science be to accept, and as long as the blood in our veins still pulses and love does not shrivel, let us go on like panes of glass, transparent to light, pattered by the sad rain trickling down, warmed by the sun and reflecting a little. 
So this ode, again, uh, Ricardo Reis write, uh, wrote odes, or Pessoa, under <laughs> the name of Ricardo Reis, more correctly, uh, wrote odes in the style of Horace. And this one, which is from 1914, shortly after uh, Ricardo Reis emerges. So Ricardo Reis, in a way, is like Caero. You take life as, as it comes. But Ricardo Reis has this awareness of, of the gods, and an awareness of, of destiny and fate. In Caero, there's not much of a sense of time. Everything's a bit timeless. Mm-hmm. And in Ricardo Reis, there is very much a sense of, of, of time. And this has to do with his belief in gods and the destiny, and that we're given a, a, a certain life by the gods that we can't really resist. So we have to accept it. And there's a, a sadness. So he talks at the end of this poem, about the sad rain trickling down. Uh, and, then, and then we are like panes of glass. The sad rain patters. And so, so it's a, about being aware and conscious of things as they are. And then I love the way this ode ends. The sad rain trickling down, warm, and, and, and we, these panes of glass, are warmed only by the sun and reflecting a little. And that those two last words, a little, I, I don't know quite how to explain it, <laughs> but, I, but I find them quite moving. Pessoa has these little dramatic touches. Pessoa, is, I, I think, is a master of drama. So she's reflecting a little, mm-hmm. you know, not, not too much, but a little. You can see, you know, they're definitely using words like love and throbbing and, you know, things like this would not sit well in a Cairo poem. Now, these were in uh, Athena, which published, uh, or at least these were, uh, I don't know if Athena, the magazine only lasted for this term, 1924 to 25? That's right. Yeah, there were just five issues. And these were, was this primarily an engine of Pessoa's? Like he was the prime mover on this? Yes, Athena... Uh, Basoa was he was able to start up the magazine with a friend who was an artist, mm-hmm. and it was the friend who had, had the money. Right, to, right, to right. Basoa right. so right. had total control over the literary content of the right. magazine. Now the next, the uh, there's kind of a lull here. I think not a, not a huge one, but then he shows up in in a journal called uh, Presenza, which uh, wasn't edited by him, but it's an acknowledgement of his genius from a younger generation. Presenza is a magazine founded in 1927 in Coimbra. There was the most important university was in in Coimbra, and even today it's a very very strong university. So there was a cultural life there that was was rather strong. So there were these young editors of Presenza who recognized in Pessoa as a kind of master of modernism. Uh, at the time of Orfeo, back in 1915, that had made a, a splash, and he and his friends were momentarily well-known. But then he you know, began to be a bit forgotten. And, of course, there was Athena that had a rather restricted readership. And then these young editors of Presenza were responsible, in a way, for, for relaunching Pessoa somewhat. Of course, their magazine also did not have a wide readership, but still, it was a, a platform where Pessoa could publish basically what he wanted to. So he published a number of poems and prose pieces in this magazine. Right. One of the poems in, in this group um, was a, a poem written on Pessoa's 42nd birthday called Birthday. Back when they used to celebrate my birthday, I was happy, and no one was dead. 
In the old house, even my birthday was a centuries-old tradition, and everyone's joy, mine included, was as sure as any religion. Back when they used to celebrate my birthday, I enjoyed the good health of understanding nothing, of being intelligent in my family's eyes, and of not having the hopes that others had for me. When I began to have hopes, I no longer knew how to hope. When I began to look at life, it had lost all meaning for me. The person I am today is like the damp in the hall at the back of the house that makes the walls mildew. What I am today is their having sold the house. It's all of them having died. It's I having survived myself like a spent match. Back when they used to celebrate my birthday, ah, how I love like a person those days. How my soul physically longs to return there via a metaphysical and carnal journey in a duality of me to me to eat the past like the bread of hunger with no time for butter between the teeth. That's a killer of an opening. I was, I was happy and no one was dead. You know? I know. It's, I mean, so often you're just like amazed by how these things are, have, they just begin that way or they end that way. There's just so many great lines running yeah. throughout all these poems. So this is a poem that, as you say, Pessoa wrote it on his birthday in, in 1930. And however, he and he published it in the magazine Presenza, but with a fictional birth date. And, the, and so he, in Presenza, it's published. The date of the poem is 15 October 1929. And uh, 15 October, uh, the birthday of Alfred Campos. Right. Also, incidentally, that was Nietzsche's birthday. No. So there's a strong Nietzschean element in Alfred the Campus. Okay. So, so I'm sure that's not an accident. I'm sure there are lots of current academic works on that particular facet. Yes, yeah, so, <laughs> there are. <laughs> a god is born. Others die. The truth didn't come or go. The error changed. Now we have a new eternity, less good than what has passed away. Blind science tills the useless earth. Irrational faith revels in its ritual. A new god is just a word. Don't seek or believe. Everything's hidden. Let's do the uh, Ricardo Reyes, also a birthday poem, uh, which was okay. already over my vain brow. This was also in Presenza, and it was published June 13, 1926, which is Pessoa's 38th birthday. Um, and it's a short one. Already, over my vain brow, the hair of that youth who died is graying. My eyes shine less today. My lips have lost their right to kisses. If you still love me, for love's sake, stop loving. Don't cheat on me with me. Well, again, this is a sad poem, but also in a way of funny. Right, <laughs> you know, right. And, and this last line, don't cheat on me with me written as as you mentioned on Pessoa's thirty eighth birthday and, and it's clearly autobiographical. So Pessoa is aware that he's aging. And I should say too, Pessoa's aged quickly after his mother died in nineteen twenty five. And then the years began to catch up quickly with Pessoa. So he looked quite a bit older than he was when right. he died in nineteen thirty five at the age of forty seven. So we hear in this ode for Pessoa and for Ricardo Reis particularly, beauty is a motive for love. And uh, so there's, you know, you have to accept 
that it passes and, and, and you can't expect love. And Pessoa certainly wouldn't want it uh, to be loved out of pity either. Mm. So right. uh, for love's sake, stop loving. Don't cheat on me with me. Right. Well, one more thing, uh, Richard, and it's, you know, when you talk about um, his his aging, obviously he's, you know, uh, you've, you mentioned throughout and you mentioned in, in the book as well, you know, he, he drank quite a bit. Um, and I just wonder, you know, if that's a, an aspect of this aging you talked about. And obviously I think that's a, 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 how he died had something to do with how, being uh, a very heavy drinker. That's your sense of that kind of aging space as well, that his body was sort of, you know, having to shut down in a lot of ways because of drinking. Can you think? Pessoa was uh, certainly a heavy drinker. Nobody ever saw him drunk. He was a fully functional right. alcoholic. But yeah, he drank and uh, more, more and more so as he aged. Right. Pessoa claimed obliquely that it was kind of like fuel for, for his writing. And uh, he was also a heavy smoker. And uh, so he, he didn't care much about his fleshly body. He right. wasn't right. kind to his fleshly body. So yeah, I'm sure that played into his aging quickly. He died of intestinal obstruction, uh, apparently. That's on the death certificate, and that seems to be the most likely cause, considering his symptoms. However, I'm sure his heavy drinking didn't help matters. Ferdinand, Prince of Portugal. God gave me his sword to use in waging his holy war. He anointed me his in honor and hardship at the time of day when a cold wind passes over the cold earth. Placing his hands on my shoulders, he gilded my brow with his gaze. My burning fever to seek the beyond, and my thirst for greatness are his name resounding inside me. I go, and my lifted sword illumines my face with calm. Full of God, I don't fear the future, for whatever it brings will never be greater than my soul. We mentioned already that uh, Pessoa had uh, didn't really write any uh, books. I mean, he did at the end of his life publish a book um, in 1934, and he'd had a couple of chapbooks of poetry he'd written in English early on. But most of his poems and other writings happen in the occasional world of journals and magazines and in opinion pieces and newspapers as well. But he did publish one book at the end of his life, uh, which was Messengem, which uh, means message, right? Right, and so, Correct. what was the message, and why why did it happen that that he published a book at at that point? Well, message was published about one year before Pessoa's death, and other poets who admired Pessoa were a bit mystified because it was quite unlike all the other poetry he'd been publishing throughout his life, and and Pessoa did publish something like a hundred fifty poems, I think, in, in magazines and newspapers throughout his life. So there's there is quite a, a a lot of poetry there, although right. he didn't publish it in, in book form. The one book in, in Portuguese was Mensagem or Message. Pessoa described his patriotism or as what he called mystical nationalism. Portugal was Portugal, but also a symbol for, for something larger, for humanity at large, and, and also for each individual member of that humanity. Everything for Pessoa was, in a way, a sim words were symbols. Each word was a symbol for, for, for Pessoa. So everything was never only what it was. It was uh, something else. And, and so there's also a lot of esotericism woven into the poems 
of, of message. And there's some strikingly good poetry there. Yeah. But it's anchored in uh, 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 the history of Portugal, mm-hmm. the history of from its foundations through the so-called Age of Discoveries. Right. And then it also looks ahead to uh, what Portugal might come to be. And it also looks at the present mm-hmm. and, and at a Portugal that's sort of at, at an impasse, right. in a foggy, uh, uncertain Portugal. So there's a rather dark side to it as well. There's a hopeful side, but also a, for the future, but also a dark side about where Portugal was at. And right. at that point, Portugal, right. of course, was ruled then by uh, Salazar, the dictator. In that uh, framework, historical and nationalistic, if we will, set up, all, all kinds of other things are going on. You know, themes that we find elsewhere in, in Pessoa's work reappear in this other clothing. This was an opportunity to play a part in the nation. Why this book? You know, why why say these are these are the things that I'm gonna I'm gonna go. He's already he's already ill at this point. You know, he's he's already feeling yeah. badly. Why is he going out this way? Well, the the book Mensagen was really a bit by chance that he managed to publish it because he had a a, a couple of friends. Well, one friend in particular who was part of the government, there was a prize, a series of literary prizes organized by a government agency. The poetry prize was for uh, poetry with a, a patriotic or nationalistic coloring. Of course, we're in the period of the so-called new state, the dictatorship of Salazar, so high on, on nationalism. And so this person was actually in the government, and then uh, another friend of Pessoa's, who was a very great supporter of the government and of Salazar, they were pushing Pessoa to finish his book. Uh, Pessoa had already written a number of poems for the book, but because of this prize, they actually bankrolled the, the publication and you know pushed him on account of this prize. So Pessoa went along and under this pressure, and that's the only reason really that his his book managed to, to get published. Otherwise, he would have died without publishing anymore. Others are bound to have what we are bound to lose. Others are apt to find what in our discoveries was found or not found, in accord with destiny. But what they cannot have is the magic of the faraway, which makes it history. For this reason, their glory is a tempered brilliance given by a borrowed light. That's our show. This is Waiting For You, which, like our opening song, Turnaround, comes from Ornette Coleman's Sound Grammar. Thanks to Richard Zenith for spending a total of four hours with me via Zoom. That's commitment and perseverance. His Pessoa, A Biography, was released earlier this year by LiveRight. Again, this is part two of our conversation with Richard Zenith. You can find part one at WFHB.org. I'm Doug Storm. I produce Interchange. Kate Young is executive producer. This is Bloomington, Indiana's community radio station, WFHB. Thanks for listening.